was in the evening and I was feeling really tired, so tired I didn't want to get out of the car to do an errand with my husband. And when we got home, we were in the kitchen and all of a sudden he disappeared. I couldn't see him at all. And then he came back in pieces, but the entire left side of my vision was gone. When they discovered I didn't have a brain bleed, then they were like, well, we think we'll keep you overnight and maybe we'll do an MRI in the morning just to check. But, you know, you can go ahead, eat normally, go on with your day. So they admitted me and finally, about 14 hours later, the next morning, they finally did the MRI. And then that's when they discovered that actually I did have a pretty good size stroke. When they released me from the hospital, they said, there's nothing we can do for this and you can go back to work in two weeks. And both of those statements were really wrong. So I actually, luckily for me, since I was an athlete already and I, I trained with my gym, my gym had a Dynavision board that they used for their athletes and they used for concussions. And so we used that. And that really helped me to get some of my cognitive skills back Really, really focus on your recovery. That is your primary thing you need to do. And your brain needs a lot of rest. And so don't try to jump back into your life as it was before. Give yourself the time to heal. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. An occipital stroke occurs in the part of the brain that deals with your sight. Symptoms of an occipital stroke include blurry vision and hallucinations like flashing lights. With occipital strokes, survivors sometimes appear to have no impairment as a result, but they're often dealing with its side effects, which can include blindness and a myriad of other sight issues. In this episode, we hear from Amber Polly Quinn from Edmonton, Canada, who suffered a stroke at the age of 39. It was in the evening and I was feeling really tired, so tired I didn't want to get out of the car to do an errand with my husband. And when we got home, we were in the kitchen and all of a sudden he disappeared. I couldn't see him at all. And then he came back in pieces, but the entire left side of my vision was gone. So we basically hopped in the car because we thought that would be faster than an ambulance and went straight to the ER. When I went into the ER, they only asked me three questions. They asked me if I had a history of migraines, had I had a headache at all in the last two weeks, and I have a history of mental illness, actually. They didn't test me for stroke at all. They put me in chairs. And so I sat there for about two hours or so, and then my husband went back and tried to advocate for me and say, you know, look, this isn't normal. She's never had a vision loss before. Can you take her back? So finally, they took me back, and about two hours later, they gave me a CT. And when they discovered I didn't have a brain bleed, then they were like, well, we think we'll keep you overnight, and maybe we'll do an MRI in the morning just to check. But, you know, you can go ahead, eat normally, go on with your day. So they admitted me, and finally, about 14 hours later, the next morning, they finally did the MRI. And then that's when they discovered that actually I did have a pretty good size stroke. They didn't operate. I didn't really have very good care, unfortunately, for me. It was kind of a, a bumbling series of errors, unfortunately. And so I, the only treatment I got for it was about 5 o'clock the next afternoon. They gave me a baby aspirin. And that actually did give me a little bit of my top peripheral vision back. So I was lucky that way. 
Um, so then they kept me for about a week because they still have no idea why I had the stroke and they tried to do a lot of testing to see if they could figure it out, but they never, ever did. So I didn't get triaged properly. And unfortunately it was a weekend. And so there were different doctors covering and there was kind of miscommunication going on between the ER staff and the neurologists. And I am kind of one of the stroke survivors, if you will, that didn't get the best possible treatment, unfortunately. Amber was forced to find her own therapy. When they released me from the hospital, they said, there's nothing we can do for this and you can go back to work in two weeks. And both of those statements were really wrong. So I actually, luckily for me, since I was an athlete already and I, I trained with my gym, my gym had a Dynavision board that they used for their athletes and they used for concussions. And so we used that and that really helped me to get some of my cognitive skills back, to be able to see better with my vision. Because when I was first released from the hospital, I was not okay. As part of my stroke, since I had a sipital lobe stroke, I had hallucinations for about two weeks. So I would see really bright colored objects out of the corner of my eye. My favorite one was probably the sumo wrestler. That was pretty funny. And then I had fatigue and lights of all different kinds really bothered my, my brain. So I couldn't go to the grocery store. Of course, I couldn't drive anymore. And so it was, it was kind of my sports chiro and my physiotherapist that I, I just work with as an athlete that kind of got me going back into doing Dynavision and doing different drills to try and get my eyes working with my brain again, if you will. So that took quite a while. I hopped on the internet and I tried to find whatever information I could. You know, there's some information on occipital lobe strokes, but there's definitely more on aphasia or paralysis on either side and things like that. There's definitely not as much treatment for your eyes, but really could do a lot in terms of DynaVision. And there's different apps and stuff they've made, actually, that can help you to train your vision again. So that was really positive. I could walk and I could raise my arms and all those good things. But I had trouble with my left leg for quite a while. It didn't want to lift the way it was supposed to. So my leg turnover was affected as a runner. I had to train my brain again how to, how to get that leg to fire, if you will. And it's still weaker, which is really funny because that was always my strong leg that I pushed off with when I was running. Yeah, so my leg and then my cognitive Definitely. I, I would say in some ways after the stroke, I became more like a little kid. I had very little patience for things. And if I didn't get my full sleep, boy, I, I had a tough time handling that. So I'm still very much aware of that. And, and I make sleep a priority. I worried that, you know, am I going to do something that's going to cause me to have a stroke? And nobody had a good answer for me. So I found it frustrating that doctors wouldn't recognize that that would be scary. Like you're telling someone that they had this major event and they have a disability now forever and you don't have a good reason for it and you think that they just want to go on their merry way. Well, I don't think humans are like that. We like to figure out the cause of things and obviously, you know, not do it again <laughs> if it hurts us. My first year was kind of lonely. There is a stroke group in the UK that I followed and I read pretty much every single one of their stories, which was very helpful actually. I tried to join them, but you can only join if you're from the UK, unfortunately. And in Canada, we don't have a separate group that does stroke. We have one combined group called Heart and Stroke. And when I joined the Heart and Stroke group, they were not very positive, unfortunately. They were more like, well, you're only blind, so big deal. 
And that really just took me aback. So it, it took a while. It took a while to kind of meet new people. So what I did instead was I, I needed something because before I had my stroke, I was very busy. You know, the kind of person who uh, was up at six and, you know, did my full-time job, trained. I was a mom, wife, all of those things. And I didn't know how to sit still and to relax. <laughs> and so once I had my stroke, I started a project actually called Strides for Stroke. And kind of as a way to heal myself, but also to bring hope to other stroke patients And so what we're doing is we are fundraising for a rapid blood test for stroke because the more and more I do interact with other stroke survivors, the more I hear that people are getting misdiagnosed or I have another good friend here in Edmonton who had a similar story to me, except he was taken there in an ambulance and waited longer before they brought him back and finally figured out he had a stroke too. And he lost more of his vision, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm very passionate about it. I'm passionate about teaching people about stroke and trying to support other stroke survivors because I don't feel like I got a lot of support at the start. And I think that that is, is so critically important to recovery. I think mental health and what comes out of it um, when you have a stroke is a very big part of the stroke itself in a way in terms of you can't recover if your brain's not happy. I had a pretty bad depression after my stroke. And that's a pretty common thing. 50% of stroke survivors have depression. And what I thought about afterwards was, well, no wonder, <laughs> you know, if you didn't get treated in time and that resulted in a in disability or death in some cases, and afterwards you're released and you're kind of sent out and there's not a lot of things put in place to help you. And so it was very, very frustrating, very, very lonely And it, it took a long while to sort of feel like myself again, if you will. Despite having issues with her medical care, Amber has made amazing progress. My vision is pretty much stuck where it is now. I would say I'm not going to get back anymore. But the really positive thing about it was once I did start working with the Dynavision board, I was able to get enough back to get my driver's license, which, as we all know, is a great thing for your independence. So... That was fantastic. So that took about seven months for me to be well enough to go into our rehab hospital here and go through all the testing to make sure that I was fit enough to drive and then to actually do a road test. And then I would say it probably took another two years. They actually tried me on, after the first year, they tried me on an antidepressant to see if that might help my brain activity pick up. And that one didn't work. But in this past year, they put me on a new one, and that has been amazing. It was like I got my energy back because that, for me, that was my other big thing about the stroke was the fatigue. I was so tired all the time, and so I felt, you know, I had a will to train. I had a will to, to try and do my job at work, to be a mom and a wife, and I had no energy for any of it. So I, I found myself frustrated a lot, but now... This past year has been amazing. I, I finally feel like my old self again. I'm back to training. I've got a race coming up here at the end of March. I'm going to be running 76 miles, so 125 Ks. Uh, very excited about that. And working a lot on strides for stroke and trying to fundraise that $120,000 goal that we had. So, yeah, it's been much better this past year. Amber was a healthy endurance athlete, and her stroke shocked everyone around her. I was very fit. I didn't smoke, didn't drink that much. So it was, it was a huge shock. 
And, you know, to go from a family where you have two adults, each of them can drive and get kids to activities and whatnot, and to go down to one, and then to have my husband become the caregiver of me as well as the kids was pretty challenging. But I'm really lucky that my family really rallied around me and, and was really good about pitching in. And same with our friends. You know, our friends organized. We had meals for probably the first month and a half. We had friends offering to drive me around to appointments or to drive the kids to places. So a support network, I would say, is, is really important for that. Despite Amber's aftercare being non-existent and having to find out for herself how to recover, her life has almost returned to normal. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Amber on the importance of stroke groups. It's always good to find other survivors and to share your stories with them and to hear, you know, what worked well for them. And looking back on her stroke in a different light. Initially, it was more bitterness and frustration. In the past year, I've let a lot of that go and realized, you know, it's more important to me now to focus on kind of teaching people about it. Like I would really like Heart and Stroke in Canada to embrace BFAST instead of just using FAST as the acronym. Let's hear how Amber's workplace supported her return. I did go back to the same job. So my job is I'm an online science teacher. So I typically am working with about 170 to 300 students at a time, sometimes more. And I teach bio and physics. So it took a while in terms of the computer screen and the fluorescent lights in our office really bothered me. And of course, I got tired really quickly. So I kind of had to do a transition back to work slowly. So I took a full two or three weeks off fully and then transitioned back kind of an hour and then two hours and then so on until I got back to a full work day. The other thing I found really helpful, and hopefully this will help some of your other people with occipital lobe strokes, was to wear yellow tinted sunglasses. So I, I looked a little funny at my desk in my cube there, working in front of the computer, but I used yellow tinted sunglasses and that really helped. I have a really great team that I work with in my school. So people pitched in, helped me work with my students and helped me take naps in the back when I needed to and things like that. And, and they're still pretty patient with me now if I get tired and whatnot. Despite those difficulties accessing a stroke support group, Amber found that they were invaluable to her recovery. It's always good to find other survivors and to share your stories with them and to hear, you know, what worked well for them. And I, you know, definitely have implemented some of those things. Like the idea for the yellow tinted glasses actually came from another stroke survivor. So the other positive part of it is I, I love seeing other people's recovery. I love seeing how far the body can come I think that we have still have a lot to learn about the brain and neuroplasticity and what it can really do. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, maybe in the future, some of us that still have a disability from the stroke might be able to gain some more of it back. You never know. I think also a really great idea would have been to have another stroke person, like another stroke survivor, come at that point and, and kind of mentor me. It's one thing I've been thinking about doing moving forward too as another project is that I think when you're first in that time when you're in the hospital and then you first come home, there's like a flurry of activity, but then that all goes away and you're kind of there and you're alone. And I think it would have been really good if I had been partnered up with someone at that point. And so I'm hoping going forward that maybe out of stroke stories or some of these other online media things that we're doing that we can connect more survivors that way and sooner rather than later. 
because it's funny, you know, sometimes you're on social media or the internet right away looking up information, but sometimes it's not until much later when you actually feel a little bit more healed or less vulnerable, if you will, that you start reaching out and looking for other people. And um, really, if you'd had it from the beginning, it would have made a big difference. The first year, post-stroke, was tough for Amber, but now she's much more positive about her future. Initially, it was more bitterness and frustration. In the past year, I've let a lot of that go and realized, you know, it's more important to me now to focus on kind of teaching people about it. Like I would really like Heart and Stroke in Canada to embrace BFAST instead of just using FAST as the acronym so that they recognize balance and eyes as other things that indicate a stroke is happening. I also want to start advocating more from this idea, like here in Canada, if we have a heart attack and you go into the ER with heart attack symptoms, they take you in immediately and they treat you for a heart attack. And then if it's not a heart attack, well, then good, you know, they, they send you home with other stuff. But they don't do that for stroke unless you have very obvious stroke symptoms. And so for people who are going in with maybe less obvious symptoms, I'm hoping that they can advocate and make changes that... They're going to treat them for stroke first because obviously stroke is much more damaging than a migraine. And then a lot of advocacy in terms of connecting other people and doing some really good work that way. Like I've got to meet a lot of people and I think sharing stories and supporting people gives other people hope and that gives me hope. The legacy of Amber's stroke does still affect her everyday life. I don't have a visible disability. And so sometimes people, they don't realize, and I had a lab tech when I was getting blood work done once tell me that they didn't believe that I was blind. <laughs> and I'm like, just because you can't see my disability doesn't you know I don't have one. But then on the other hand, I've had people kind of treat me with kid gloves, if you will, and kind of baby me a bit. And that really frustrated me too, because I, I still feel that, you know, just because we've had a stroke doesn't mean we can't do a lot of the things that we used to do and and to be fully part of things. I'm definitely not the same as I was before. I would say I was more happy-go-lucky before. Now I'm definitely a lot more cautious with things, but I am happier in a way. I'm. It's kind of like you've gone through something really hard and you've come out the other side. You find a strength in yourself you didn't know you had. And Amber believes you need to take your time and focus on getting better. Be patient. And to the survivor... Really, really focus on your recovery. That is your primary thing you need to do. And your brain needs a lot of rest. And so don't try to jump back into your life as it was before. Give yourself the time to heal. That's really important. Also, reach out. Make sure you have a good doctor taking care of you. And if you don't, find someone better. And to the family members, be patient with your loved one. Give them a lot of room to heal and, you know, recognize that they're almost like a cancer patient in a way. You know, they they can't do everything that they used to do around the house or be the same person that they immediately will be. But if you're patient and empathetic and supportive, you will go a long way to helping them to recover and helping take care of yourself too. Amber never gave up hope of recovery. Although her sight is still partially affected by her stroke, she's back working full-time and is planning on running 100k endurance races in the near future. Coming up on the next episode of Stroke that Stories. That same pain in my shoulder, in like such a fast motion, it like 
swam up my neck and exploded into my head. And this pain was like this entity. It would be great if you wouldn't mind subscribing to our podcast on your preferred provider and rating and commenting on the episodes you hear. That will help us spread the word. And if you are or know a stroke survivor and would like to share your stroke story with us, please contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Thank you.